please join me now in the litany of invitation and confession. We gather to hear God's call to service. Let us affirm the claims of Christ, who claims us in love. We listen for God to speak to our hearts. We desire to experience God. Sisters and brothers, let us live out our calling as a faithful community, and let us be honest in the confession of our sins. We confess our misplaced loyalties and ambitions. We want God to know us, and yet we try to hide from God. We ask God to forgive us. We pause for a moment of silent confession. God is abundant in forgiveness and full of grace. Let us live by the faith and the grace that make us whole. We are forgiven. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. It is a good day to be together and to be in this place of worship to worship God. As we have gathered on this day, it is our first day back in the sanctuary. So for some of you, it feels like coming home. For others of you, when we go to the chapel, that feels like coming home. And so welcome home to this place of worship with all the fasted glass and all the beauty and all the memories that the place holds. We also started today with a wonderful journey in church school down in Fellowship Hall, did we not? Uh, the Bible Jeopardy was an awesome thing. Uh, ask somebody who is there and they will tell you what happened. Uh, we learned so much. It's a celebration of the blessing of the backpacks as children go back to school and Andrea is going to uh, uh, help us with that in a few moments. We'll be listening to three scriptures today. Uh, the first one will be brought to us by the Almeida family in just a moment. The second one is the one that I'll be preaching about. It's from Jeremiah 18, which is about uh, the potter in the potter's house that Jeremiah goes to see, and then the gospel lesson. And so we open our hearts to all of these as we welcome one another uh, to the worship of God. So, I'm going to call on the Almeida family to come forward right now, as uh, Daniel has prepared. They're going to do a reading that they did uh, a few months ago on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and I have asked them to do it again for two reasons. One, I missed it. I was not here that day. And secondly, we had some technical difficulties, and you weren't able to hear them as well as I want you to hear them. And so we're going to check and make sure microphones and things work first. Would you check that out? Yes, let's, let's check the mic now. Can you hear me? How does that sound? Does that sound good? Is it the handheld mic that's working? I'm nodding to Andrew. We're good, right? We're good. I got a thumbs up. Brown, they'll speak loudly, and we're ready to listen, Sebastian and Amelia and Geneva and Callie. Let's listen. The day of Pentecost had come. They were all together in one place, and suddenly from the heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Y se les aparecieron lenguas repartidas como de fuego, que se asentó sobre cada uno de ellos, y fueron todos llenos del Espíritu Santo. Y comenzaron a hablar en otras lenguas, como el Espíritu les daba que hablasen. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven, living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, 
because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Y estaban atónitos y maravillados, diciendo, He aquí, ¿no son galileos todos estos que hablan? ¿Cómo pues les oímos nosotros hablar, cada uno en nuestra lengua en que somos nacidos, partos y medos y elamitas, y los que habitamos en Mesopotamia, en Judea y en Capodocia, en el Ponto y en Asia, en Ferigia y en Panfilia, en Egipto y en las partes de África, que es la otra parte del Siriné, y romanos extranjeros, tanto judíos como convertidos. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled, filled with new wine. Entonces Pedro, poniéndose en pie, con los once, alzó su voz, y hablándoles diciendo, Varones judíos y todos los que habitáis en Jerusalén, estos os sea notorio, y oíd mis palabras, porque estos no están borrachos, como vosotros pensáis, siendo la hora tercia del día. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Y desierto sobre mis siervas y sobre mis siervas, en aquellos días derramaré de mi espíritu y profetizarán y daré prodigios arriba en el cielo y señales abajo en la tierra, sangre y fuego y vapor de humo. El sol se volverá en tinieblas y la luna en sangre antes que venga el día del Señor grande y manifiesto. Y será que todos aquel que invocaré el nombre del Señor seré salvo. Then everyone who called on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here ends the first lesson. And now let's say our prayers. Creator God, all creation is your handiwork. Distant space shows traces of your touch. Your hands form vast galaxies, shape granite mountains, and design butterfly wings. You choreograph the paths of stars and the flight of geese. Your divine song is sung by rolling mountain streams and rushing winds. So for all the ways that creation reflects your love and faithfulness, We rejoice and give thanks. But sometimes, O oh God, nature becomes harsh and unpredictable, and the beauty of your image found in creation is marred and destroyed. In this week, we have stood in fear and awe of the destructive power of Hurricane Dorian. The path of destruction is almost more than we can comprehend. For the loss of life, particularly in the Bahamas, we offer prayers of lament. For persons who have been displaced or lost their homes, we offer prayers of comfort. And for all who will generously give their time and energy to rebuild and replace, we offer prayers of gratitude. But, O oh God, we confess that just like Hurricane Dorian, we, your human creation, sometimes destroys the beauty of your image, often because of the unpredictability and inconsistency of our words and actions. Sometimes we profess our love for you, while at the same time we curse our enemies. Sometimes we praise your name in this house of worship, yet we never speak of you in our places of school and work. Sometimes we pray for peace in our world, and other times we sow seeds of discord by spreading gossip or being unkind. Forgive us, O oh God, for our failure to always speak with clarity and consistency. 
Forgive us when our actions cloud your image and your witness. And whenever we allow ourselves to become misshapen by acts of our own will, keep your creative hands upon us like a potter and shape us as seems good to you. As we worship today, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. May we praise you with our songs. May we seek you in our prayers. And may we be eloquent in bearing witness to you with our very lives. And now once again, O God, hear us as we boldly proclaim the ancient words that Christ taught his disciples long ago to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God can alter the fate of Judah and Jerusalem. The narrative of the potter and the clay, a reading from the book of Jeremiah. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, come and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done? Says the Lord. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I have intended to do so for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Look, I am a potter shaping evil against you. And devising a plan against you. Turn now, all of you, from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. Here ends the second lesson. Children, I invite all of you to come forward to where our backpacks are on the step for our time together this morning. If you have an offering, Pastor Daniel has an offering plate. You can stick that in. Thank you. <clears throat> All right, y'all sit next to me. And on the carpet, the pretty carpet. We haven't been on the carpet in a few weeks, have we? Right, y'all can sit right here, right here, right here. Levon, you can sit right here, baby. There's your backpack. You can sit right beside it if you want to. <clears throat> okay, everybody, you guys are going to make me get my exercise this morning while I talk to you. Okay. <clears throat> so this morning we are going to, we are going to bless our backpacks. But before we do, I wanted to show you these cool things that I brought for us to put on your backpacks today. Can somebody read this to me? Can you read that? 
It says, God's got your back. That's what our backpack tag has on it. And I wanted to get one that said that so that you could remember that wherever you go, you can take this at school or wherever these backpacks go. You came here today with these. You never know. You can clip this on your backpack and you can remember that God is always with you. No matter what you're doing, no matter where you're going, no matter who you're with, God's always got your back. He's always with you, protecting you, loving you, supporting you, no matter where you are and no matter who you're with. And that's why today we're going to say a little blessing for you and for your backpacks. I know you already started school, but we're going to have a blessing today anyway. And everybody, if you'd like to help me bless these backpacks, you can hold up a hand like this to bless these backpacks with me. And we'll make this an open-eyed blessing. And children, you can put your hands like this so that you can receive the blessing. All right? Lord, bless these backpacks and the children and youth who carry them as they begin yet another year of school. Give them peace when they feel nervous, focus when they feel distracted, energy when they feel tired. Open their minds to the lessons they will learn both in and outside the classroom. Help them to make friends that build one another up and to be friends to those who need them. Guide them in making good choices as they grow in wisdom and maturity. Be ever-present with them in the classroom, on the school bus, on the playground, and at home. And may they feel your loving care in all they do. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, here's your backpack tag. Everybody take one and get and clip it on your backpack or take it home with you and put it on your backpack, okay? And remember, God's got your back. Uh, Okay, let's go. Cost of Discipleship, a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. 
Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. The subject I'm going to be preaching on is how God helps us cope with transitions in life. It seems to be apropos for me because this is the first time in the sanctuary that I'm wearing my new hearing aids, which means I'm going to do like every old man you know that wears hearing aids and complain about them. But part of the learning curve is the microphones for the hearing aids are behind the ears, which means I can hear everything the choir is saying. I heard that. And so, uh, cut me some slack in this odd new way of, of being with life. Life has a way of not turning out how we planned, right? That eventually, maybe as we look back in life, if we have a long life, that even the tough times we, we thought didn't turn out so well somehow have a way of being included into chapters of grace to look in the epilogue back at chapter 3 that was so traumatic for us that after a long life that somehow it all in the grace of God blends together. But when we're living through chapter 3 or that tough time in life, it never feels good and it feels like we're far away from it being anything good. It's kind of like the adage for all of you travelers who hasn't said, I'm on a trip but this is not the trip that I've packed for. We have our challenging times. Some of them are are small, small challenging times, like, you know, you're having the birthday party, you ordered the pizza, and then they deliver it to the wrong address. So you have to go ahead and eat the ice cream and cake first. That's, it's not a catastrophe. Or you're having guests over, it's the Christmas season, you meant to get the tree up, and you just couldn't find that one bulb that wouldn't turn on the whole thing of the Christmas tree. And so you have to have the gathering with a darkened tree. Or the dog ate my homework, you know. Little things happen that may feel big at the time, but they are actually small. But then there are the big things that happen that really are big. You're passing through the intersection, and then there's the crunch of metal. And with the sound of that metal comes a trajectory that has changed the rest of your life. Or you're going on a sunny day to the mailbox and you open the door and there's a registered letter. And upon opening that, the rest of your life is changed. Or you go in the doctor's office, the chart is open, the doctor's glasses come off and say, well, the test results are in. And... uh, we have some hard choices to make. Actually, that happened to my family years and years ago. We were expecting a call from the doctor. There was a good way we wanted and not so good we wanted. The doctor called and said, well, here are the results. And I remember where I was sitting on this earth when I was on the phone, and I said, well, those are not the results we hoped for. And I remember what the doctor said. You know, you get anxious, even the docs, 
and you say things that are kind of platitudes. And remember the doc saying, well, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men. Referencing that Steinbeck novel that also pulled from the Scottish author Robert Burns. Yeah, yeah, well, it didn't help, but I understand. There are times in life when the big stuff happens and the plan A that we were going to live by is scrubbed and we have to resort to plan B. Now, is that how your life works? It's how my life works. To the extent that that's how our life works, then what help do we get from Scripture that can help us in times like that? And also, as we listen to this potter and the clay text, I want you to listen to what God might be inviting us as a church to do and be as God reshapes us. I think the sin of Western theologians, that is, Europe, North America, is that we tend to interpret text hyper-individualistically, right? About this is, that this is about me, and that's okay. But all of these texts, most texts in the Bible are written to a community, So it's God at work shaping the whole community. So how might God be at work in our church? So let's go to the text. Here's number one, and it is, it happens. That word has, it has has two two (laughs) letters. It's it's not another word. It's it's a two-lettered word. It happens. And the it is that plan A ends. In life. That's what happened to ancient Israel, as in the southern kingdom, that is behind the story in this text. The 9 11 in the story of Israel is what happened as a result of this time. 587 BCE, when the Babylonian captivity captured the leading citizens of Jerusalem, the artisans, the politicians, the government leaders, the religious leaders, and deported them 600 miles away to faraway Babylon. The temple was destroyed, much of the city was destroyed, and their theology, their sociology, and everything about them changed. Plan A was not in effect anymore. And therefore, God sends a prophet like this guy, like Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, being a prophet, I've always thought of the prophets as part of the immune system of Israel. And when it goes awry and colludes with the government or the military or the politics of the day, that a prophet tangentially gets sent in by God to speak the truth, speak truth to power. Now, uh, spoiler alert, when truth speaks to power, it's not often that truth wins. But that's the calling. He goes in. He delivers the word that the consequences of their neglect is coming home to roost, like the chickens that come home to roost. It was their neglect of the poor. It was the substitution of their gratification through, through a little charity that substituted for them taking strong stands about structures of injustice. It's always easier to do a little charity than it is to adjust the systems of injustice that holds things in place. I, as a privileged person in this world, have learned a lot from people that are different from me, and they're usually my teachers. People of a different race, people of a different religion, people of a different gender or sexual orientation. They remind me that this world is not put together in the invisible strata that I live my life by. And it reminds me that I'm called to see the world in a bigger way, maybe beginning to see it as wide as God sees it. Well, you could say that God is going to lower the boom on Judah and Jerusalem, or you could say it that the consequences of their choices like dominoes that fall have come full circle and taken them with them. Either way, the Babylonian captivity is on the way. So what does the preacher do? That'd be Jeremiah. I've always imagined that Jeremiah, like most of us preachers, would come to times in his life when he ran out of words. 
You ever known a preacher that ran out of words? You ever known of one you wish had run out of words? Remember, I can hear things. <laughs> or if any of you are preachers, you know exactly what that feels like. You know what it's like to be on a Saturday night and you got a whole Bible and there's not one text in it worth preaching on. I don't know how that happens. Or the one you picked just dissipates like the morning dew. It's not worth going to. Here was a preacher I'm imagining, Jeremiah, runs out of words. And so God says, well, I tell you what, do this. But what God doesn't do is send him to the texts of the Torah. What God does do is send him to the studio of the artisan. You go down to the potter's house and watch for the poetic imagery that you see. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, spoke about poetic imagery in the Bible. He said the poetic imagery in the Bible is not good advice, nor is it romantic caressing, nor is it, he says, soothing good humor. In other words, it's not a motivational speech. And uh, boy, isn't that a temptation to make sermons into motivational speeches. Rather, says Brueggemann, it is the steady, surprising proposal that the real world in which God invites us to live is not the one, not the one made available by rulers and wisdom of this age. If it is the wisdom and rulers of this age is to say, here is our table. How do we get more on it and how do we keep others away from it? How do we protect our table and our stuff? But the way the Bible reads to me in the big picture is God's story is that it's all one table and there's plenty for everybody and all are invited. How radical is that? That is some of the poetry that Jeremiah could see that others uh, that were invisible to others. The potter and the clay. He goes down to the potter's house. Now, I consulted some potters. I asked the Wednesday uh, study class if any of them had ever worked with clay, and I, I have not. But uh, Amy Taylor said that she had, in a class, uh, had worked with clay to shape and and, and, and be a potter. I also asked Ruth Cremidgen, who is an artist and went to art school, and one of the mediums that they had to take a class and work in was clay. What I remember them saying was how tactile this art form is. It doesn't happen at the end of the brush. It happens at the end of the fingernail, of which you get some under you as you work of the coldness of the clay against a warm human hand, of the pressure that's needed to squeeze it, of the spin of the wheel and the auditory squeak and squeak and squeak and squeak as the wheel turns and the shape is made. Ruth said, these are my words, it's a fickle art, that there are so many steps on the way to get the clay on the wheel, and then every lump of clay is different. And you'd expect it to go like the last one did, but the composition is not the same, and it just goes different. And then you have to fire it. And I remember talking with uh, Louise Davis as she was a china painter. And, and then it comes to the firing process that changes the colors, but sometimes if the mix of the uh, what goes in the oven is wrong, it cracks. And here's all this work that, in a fickle way, just is suddenly ruined. It must be a frustrating thing to be a potter. It's a messy medium. Something goes wrong as Jeremiah watches the potter and the clay, and the text says it is marred in the hands of the potter. In other words, plan A comes to an end. Um, I often talk with uh, Kurt Thomas, and I, I told him about this before he checked out <laughs> to have to go to work today. He and I talk about famous quotations that we remember from movies, and one is that movie with Russell Crowe of Master and Commander. 
about the British fleet on the surprise uh, British vessel, but one of their one of their teammates, shipmates, uh, commits suicide. And so Captain Jack Aubrey then does a eulogy the next day uh, in his absence. And Captain Jack says, The simple truth is, not all of us become the men we once hoped we might be. Not all of us become the person that each of us hoped we might be. But he says, We are all God's creatures, If there are those among us who thought ill of our shipmate or spoke ill of him or failed him in respect of fellowship, then, O Lord, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for his. It's like a period at the end of plan A that comes to all of our lives. But that's not all the story. There is plan B. Plan B happens when the potter salvages, repurposes, and is pleased with this remade, uh, this remade piece of pottery. A few weeks ago, I mentioned it's my imagery that the potter may have been making a very tall vase that holds a beautiful flower that needs a thinning, thinning, thinning wall to achieve that. And yet the composition of the clay won't allow it. It may be lumpy. It may be too thick to, to, to hold itself up in that way. And so the potter repurposes it something that is organic. We would say authentic. Authentic to what the makeup of the clay is. Maybe it was going to be a tall vase that would hold a flower. And the potter said, I think you're going to be a skillet in which I make cornbread. Nothing wrong with that. Flattens it out, thick on the bottom, makes it a piece of pottery that can hold bread as it bakes. Yeah, salvages, doesn't discard, repurposes to something new as it pleased the, the artist, the potter. There's a lot of plan B's in the Bible, and a lot of them are about God. You heard in the text today at least two, maybe three times, where God says, I might change my mind. It's a Hebrew word that appears 39 times in the Old Testament. That if things go this way, God says, well, I think I'll change my mind. I'll go with plan B rather than plan A. One of the plan Bs I like in the Bible is the Apostle Paul is going around doing his missionary journey thing, you know. And he wants to go to Bithynia. And the text says, it's in the book of Acts, he's planning to go to Bithynia. I bet they already had the billboards up, you know. The Apostle Paul the greater Bithynia crusade. They already had TV ads. It was, he was on his way, but he couldn't get freedom in his soul to go there. God kept forbidding him. The Spirit forbade me, he said. But then one night he has this vision that across the Hellenosport, there is a man from Macedonia. And the Macedonia man is saying, come over and help us. Now, some of you might remember that gospel song that some of us sang. Do you remember Send the Light? Barbara and I will sing it together. <laughs> we have heard the Macedonian call today. There you go. Send the light. Uh, there are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. <laughs> I'm not trying out for Keith's job. You can, you can have it, especially with singing like that. You can have it. Uh, but that's it, about this vision of one to bring the gospel light. Well, what it was is he didn't get to stay in Asia. The Spirit led him to Europe. In other words, we are beneficiaries long down that river as the gospel went West and eventually to North America. That's the way it is with God. Plan A didn't work out. You get to go to Macedonia, second best. But guess what? God is in Macedonia too, as it pleased the potter to make. Now, now this happens to you, right? It happens to me. This past weekend, Liz and I were with our daughter and her family in Nashville, Franklin, Tennessee, a relationship that has mattered a lot to me, but matters in a, in a fuller way to me now. That uh, God has been at work with Plan B 
and what a gift that has been to all of us. Um, after having gone through plan A, ending in a divorce, but then plan B that takes some of the wreckage of that and recasts it, uh, I can't tell you how thankful I am for that, that God salvages and repurposes and is pleased with the recreation. The hero of the story is not the pot. The hero of the story is the potter. And that which is created has the fingerprints of the creator on it. What if it is that God does create all sorts of pots? And so as God shapes Northside Drive Baptist, God doesn't need two of anything, two of anything and that's why we are uniquely made as we are. Maybe not as we had wanted to be, not as plan A was. But how could God be at work in plan B to be authentic, co-authored by God? This coming Saturday, there will be some of us at Myers Park Baptist in Charlotte because we'll be there regarding the, the memorial service of our friend Barry Love. Some of us who've been a part of Northside Drive for years remember Barry and Debbie and their three kids and are still mad at God for having taken them from us. Barry sang in the choir. He was almost a basso profondo, you remember. And uh, they just meant so much. And Barry died uh, near, about two weeks ago of lung and then brain cancer and metastasis because of that. He and I had talked about this day coming, and I've been asked to uh, bring the eulogy this next Saturday. I'm glad I'm getting this out now. As I think about Barry Love's life, in this text, I think that Barry is somebody, in my opinion, who made peace by, by staying on the wheel. He was one that kept working at his life. You know, those notebooks that were on the tables down in Fellowship Hall that were like we used, except they used to be all black and white. Now they're different colors. Barry always carried one of those as a journal because he was always paying attention to the life God had given him. It ended all too soon, in my opinion. But he was always in conversation with what is God up to. He read philosophers, he read theologians, and he worked on his life. He was a witness of the wheel, a co-author with God in telling his story. As are you, as are you. And when plan A is over, God is always at hand with plan B. And at that time, we confess. At that time, we are curious. At that time, we learn to be more kind and more compassionate because God continues to work with us. Is that enough to get us through the week? Maybe so. Amen. It is our tradition that when a word is offered, an opportunity for response and dedication and invitation is given. The song that we'll be singing is, Have Thine Own Way, Lord, Have Thine Own Way. And what's the next line? Thou art the potter, I am the clay. So as we sing it, we are praying to God, and God is shaping us. Let's stand together and sing.
this time of the service, I bring celebrations and concerns and announcements, and I want to bring a few of those to you this morning. First, uh, some announcements for uh, the upcoming week. Triple E will begin on Tuesday, and we'll have our very own Dave Wooten to talk about marathons. If you haven't RSVP'd already, could you do that to the church office or to Barbara? Barbara told me that on the way in. Also, If you have brought a dish, please pick that up in the fellowship hall. And Barbara, can you save me two sausage balls if you're listening? Next Sunday is deacon ordination. We'll be ordaining two deacons. Jenny Hedrick and Sabrina Thomas will be ordained next Sunday. Please make plans to attend. And they'll both be bringing a word about what ordination in Northside Drive means to them next Sunday. Also, later that afternoon at 3 p.m. is a concert by Les Trois-Voix, The Three Voices. Make plans to attend that. And a celebration to announce that Mike Egan and Brenda Street were married yesterday. James was there to pronounce a blessing and to give a homily, and it was a joyous occasion. So when you see Mike and Brenda, congratulate them. Some heavy prayer concerns to bring you, uh, including uh, Ann Shiver-Hunt, who has surgery scheduled for Thursday, for David and for Andrew, who lost an aunt, an aunt of David's, and of a family friend this week. Prayers for them. For Jesse Bruno, whose grandfather died earlier this week. We lift all of you up, and as we lift up each of you who have your own concerns this morning, God hears your prayers. The Sanctuary Choir is going to help us continue our worship uh, with this offertory hymn. We're glad you're back, Sanctuary Choir. You'll hear echoes of Jeremiah as you listen to these words.
Oh, loving God, our voices rise with that of the choir. It's so good to have them back and to hear them sing praise to you. May we also bring praise through the giving of these tithes and offerings that will be used to tell the story of God's inclusive grace all week long. Bless us and help us, and help us rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice and give thanks and sing in Christ's name. Amen. So on this Welcome Home Sunday, as we are grateful to be together, I particularly am glad that LaDonna is here today. I so missed you. So welcome home, LaDonna. And Louis Bazard is here today, come all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina. So you get the Furthest Away Attendance Award. But we're glad that you're here. He has been a Northside driver from years ago. And so we who are now remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift us, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround us, and the grace and mercy of God give us hope and give us courage, this day and every day, as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.